0: Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, where you get a guaranteed return on investment of your time as we cut your learning curve with the information you can apply to your farming operation immediately for greater yields and more profit. This episode is brought to you by ADS, Advanced Drainage Systems. Soil, sunlight, and water are the three most important resources in crop production. Let ADS help manage your water resource in a productive and sustainable manner. Advanced drainage systems, their reason is water. Now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Well,
1: greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of Cutting the Curve podcast, where we promise you, if you give us a little bit of your time, we're going to save you days, weeks, months, even years by shortening your learning curve. You know, a lot of times we talk about farming practices and we talk about agronomics and things that are happening uh, within the soil, between the soil and the grain bin and your desk and how to become more successful. Well, today we're not doing agronomics, we're doing farm income diversification to help you become more successful, or at least to broaden your business mind as an entrepreneur. You know, if you run your own farming operation, you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner. And one of the things you should do as a business owner is always look at how you can capitalize or maximize or expand returns on your current resources. Kelly Garrett is doing just that. You know, Kelly, he is one of the founding members of Extreme Ag. He is a West uh, Central Iowa farmer, Farmer farms about 7,000 acres. He also has cattle. We don't talk a lot about cattle, but we are today because we're talking about farm income diversification, growth of your business, and doing so with some of the resources you already have. He's doing that with beef. He's started his own beef company, direct to consumer. We're going to talk about that today with Mr. Kelly Garrett. Mr. Garrett, thanks for being here.
2: Thank you for having me, Damian.
1: All right. So uh, as I said in the intro here, we always talk about uh, a lot of different things out at the field level. This is a little different. We've not done anything really on livestock before with any of you or the other founding members of Extreme Ag. You were raised around it, uh, you know. You got, you had beef cattle out in some of those rolling hills or those little uh, hollows uh, there in Iowa, where you keep some brood cows. And then usually your method was you would keep some heifers back for replacements. You would uh, sell, uh, wean, and sell the, the steers. Maybe keep a few back, but you decided, you know what? I think maybe we should retain ownership. But we're not going to be big enough to do like feed yard. We ain't cactus feeders here with 100,000 animals on feed. We're going to do it a little smaller scale, but we're going to do it with more value add. Talk about how this all came about.
2: There are people in the cattle industry that are going direct to consumer. And selling cattle doesn't make a lot of money. Sometimes it seems like that there's a little bit of uh, collusion going on. I You know, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but the four packers in the United States control so much of the price and selling cattle doesn't make a lot of money. So I decided to see if I could sell meat. I'm, I'm proud of the product that we raise. And and really, you know, if I draw a 10 mile circle around me, there's probably 10 or 20 families that, that raise cattle and every one of them does a great job. The only difference is, is that I want to try to do this, finish the cattle, uh, and and just do something outside the box, which is much like what extreme ag is all about. It's just intensive management.
1: Yeah. So what you, you said something real interesting there. Um, and, and again, I've read a number of things about this, you know. And I'm a, people are able to wacky regenerative ag. The Gabe Brown guy. There's people that don't like some of his approach, but he does say something very smart in his book, Dirt to Soil. He says why don't we try and harness back some of that value add in the middle and keep it ourselves because at the end of the day a lot of times we're price takers at the farm level we have no control of that price and and a lot of people are price takers we we like to say that i mean i sell things for what the market bears so i'm a price taker also but if you let too much of the value add go away the packers like you said in beef I think the four bigs control 82% of all the beef in the United States of America. What if you can just pull back and not be reliant on them? And what if you can take on a little bit more of the value? Because you've done the hard work of taking it from a cow has a calf, calf gets weaned, calf gets backgrounded, calf gets fattened. Oh, wait, I just gave that away and I made $40 on all that work. So you're saying we're going to keep it. I'm selling meat versus selling cattle. But what you're really doing is selling some of the value add in the middle when you sell meat.
2: Exactly. You know, everything that we sell in agriculture is a commodity. Cattle really are a commodity, just like corn when they're still alive on the hoof.
1: There's, you know, in the Wall Street Journal every day in the CME index, it's got corn, it's got feeders, it's got fats, it's got uh, oats, it's got all that. So there's no question. Now there is differentiation of quality grade. Uh, you know, from choice to prime, to, to select, whatever. And your stuff's good. So it's not going to be an issue of that, but you're uncommoditizing it because you're creating a branded product.
2: Exactly. That's right. You know, I'm proud of the job we do just like every family is. And when that, but when my commodity, when my product goes through the packer, it isn't given the care as it is when I take it to my small shop. We took it, we went south of Kansas City to the Herzog family. Todd and Jim Herzog own the sale barn down there, and they opened the meat company because they see the same thing in the cattle industry as I do, as many people do. We finished 21 heifers, uh, which in itself is not a huge deal, not a big accomplishment at all, but these 21 heifers are kind of a research project to see if we can make this a viable business entity, another offshoot of Garrett and Cattle, it's not as easy as, uh, as you would think on everything. You know, I, it's easy for me to sell steaks, but about 60% of what you get back is hamburger. It's hard to move through that volume of hamburger. We're trying to develop ways to, uh, to do that. My vision is, is that if I can sell the meat from these 21 heifers this year, this winter, then the other cattle, the next set of cattle, you know, they're already in the yard. They're weaned. Our calving window, we have spread it out some just by because of the necessity of how we operate now. So that really lends itself. We have not implanted our heifers this year. So there'll be no, no hormones, right. no antibiotics. Right. And I would like to be able to, to process 20 head of cattle every year. We'll still sell the steers in the sale barn as yearlings, but I'd like to finish the heifers. And, and again, I'd like to have a steady supply of meat. For the customer base that I hope to develop all year round, and then if it's successful, let's do it all.
1: Yeah. Okay. We're going to talk about a bunch of things here. First off, let's talk about the quality issue. Uh, you know, for the person that's listening, saying, "What the hell is a heifer?" Okay, if you're if you if you're a cutting the curve podcast listener, we assume you know what we're talking about. That's a female that's not had a cow or had a calf. Uh, and you're saying, is there a quality difference? No, they fatten up really nicely. When I've had my beef operation for 13 years, I fed out heifers and my customers love them because they actually get a little smaller frame. So you don't have such a big quarter or half that you're selling to your friends in town. And also it's got plenty of fat covering. Would your product grade choice?
2: Yes, our product would grade choice or prime.
1: Okay, so here's the thing now. Let's talk about the, the business part of it. Uh, One of our past podcasts, I think we're talking with Tim from NetFM, but maybe it was with, uh, you know, you might have been talking with uh, Darla about drainage. We talk a lot about you've already got this resource. I got this 160 acres. Uh, I right now can't buy the 160 next to it. But what if I could make that 160 acres more valuable by putting $1,000 an acre into it in way of irrigation or drainage or whatever? Kind of what you're doing is that way with cattle. And I think that the business-minded listener says, all right, what resource do you already have? What capital do you already have tied up in your farming operation that for just a little bit more work or a few tweaks, you could get that bonus out of that resource you already have? Because that's really what we're talking about with the cattle thing you're doing now.
2: Exactly, what I like to say is instead of always trying to do more, let's try to do better. Because I believe more often than not, the net in doing more is not as good as the net in doing better. And people just don't realize that because we get caught up in always trying to expand.
1: Yeah, it's always bigger, 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 but okay. So you already had the cattle. And so you're sitting there saying, all right, I'd like to diversify, or at least maybe, it's not even diversified because you already had the cattle. So in this case, it's grabbing more money per animal, per uh, acre, what have you. Um, When you look at doing this, Uh, then the question is, what's my new expense?
2: Exactly. Uh, So, yes, you know, the the new expense is processing the cattle, having a facility to keep them cold, having a facility to uh, retail them out of. And we also are in the process of creating a website that uh, we'll be able to ship. You know, we would like to ship it clear across the country uh, if, if those orders come in.
1: So it's for you, you already had the facilities as far as the barns and the feeding bunks and the pastures and the pens and all that. So nothing new in way of cattle facilities. You already had trailers. You've already got that. The work now or the, the additional expenses, facility, and you brokered somebody or you contracted somebody to do the clean the killing and the butchering and the processing and the packaging. So now it's about storage and about marketing. Is that the two new places? Where you're and of course a little bit of time.
2: Yes, that's correct.
1: So facilities, marketing, and time. Which ones? Which one's the bigger burden right now? Facilities, marketing, or time?
2: Facility. Yeah,
1: because your your time um, is this ten hours a day of new work? No, not
2: really. No, it's not. It, it, the time hasn't been a lot so far. If we had a facility and you had a retail space, then the time would pick up. Right now, the time is not. We're taking orders over the phone, you know, maybe over Facebook, and uh, we're filling those orders to people. Uh, My aunt and uncle own the convenience store in Dow City. We have meat there for sale. Uh, Smitty's Grocery Store in Dunlap, Iowa, he started to carry some of it. You know, we've talked to a couple other restaurants that are buying hamburger for us now. But no, the time component at this point is not a lot. It's not hard. Have you
1: dedicated an employee to this venture yet?
2: No, this venture so far has been myself and Connor and Colin, my two older sons.
1: Do you eventually see somebody like a, one of your kids or an employee having to take this on as their as almost a full time thing? Because granted, you, you broker out what you can butchering, et cetera, but still there needs to be when it's somebody's baby, then the buck stops here kind of thing. Is it going to
2: get to that point? Colin, my middle son, is an animal science major. He's a junior at Iowa State, and the cattle are his love, just like they are my dad's. And this is something we want to get started. We'd like to see how it goes. Amber's going to help with it. Uh, And then the idea is that it's a a viable business and ready to take off when Colin gets out of college.
1: When you look at what what it takes uh, in terms of getting this going, uh, I always get approached by people, Kelly, that aren't. Small biz people, and they're like, "Well, do you have to start an LLC? Do I have to go and get a C corporation set up?" They always worry about a lot of that stuff. Is there going to be a new legal entity for this, or probably is there one now?
2: Yep, there's not one yet, but I would say that uh, when when Colin comes home from college, this is what he chooses to do, and we can have proof of concept here. Yes, there would be I, because I want this business to stand on its own. I want Garrett Land and Cattle to sell the cattle. To the Garrett meat business, and then yeah. I both oh, and the the cattle need to make money, and the meat needs to make money. Otherwise, we're just spinning our wheels. Yeah,
1: that's that's the way to do it. So then, um, what have you learned so far? We're only in this a couple of months. Usually, learning curve the first year, year and a half of any new venture, or even six months, is when it's like trial by fire. What have you learned
2: so far? I've learned there's a lot of hamburger to sell. <laughs> you can sell the crap out of steaks everybody wants to buy steaks yeah. but it's those lesser cuts you know and then uh you know going to a traditional locker they have about seven cuts of meat going down to Herzogs, there's about 35 cuts of meat i'd never really been around a skirt steak before i would never been around a flank steak a hanger steak you know things like that Um, uh, tremendous cuts of meat that aren't as expensive as say a ribeye or a filet and just so good uh it been a new experience for us and to just kind of try to ed- educate the local public here on what those cuts of meat are and the value that they have
1: uh i talk about in my business book the four things you and i talked about before about uh, you know risk risk tolerance uh driving ambition vision uh you know the things that make it um you're not the first person to try and go direct consumer to this. Is your vision different than anybody else's?
2: No, I don't think so. I I would say that uh, because of the success I've had with, you know, KSX, the trucking or the landing cattle or extreme ag, the I, I'm becoming more secure in mm-hmm. starting a new venture. Mm-hmm. And so my dreams are probably a little bit bigger.
1: So is it, is, is your plan is to scale this up and ship stuff. Um, <clears throat> shipping frozen meat across the country seems like uh seems like a neat idea, but also it's kind of costly. Is that where you had a big uh like wow, I didn't realize it was gonna be this bad? Is that was that one of your big sort of shockers?
2: You know, the shipping cost and dry ice expense and uh insulated box expense, none of that stuff is uh is inexpensive. It does add a certain amount of cost to it, but uh, You know, in the inflationary times that we are in, I still believe that I can be competitive with my prices, even shipping all the way to California.
1: All right. So when we were before we were born, but certainly by the time I was born, it was starting to phase out. But even before that, uh, every farm. In my part of the world, either grain farmed and milk cows, or at a grain farm they had a hog barn, or maybe they had a brood cows a herd. You know, two dozen, two dozen beef cows. Uh, you know, did some beef, uh, had a hog barn, and then grain farmed. We were diverse. So we got away from it. Everything became specialized. We got real, real good at it. That's why guys like you were growing three hundred bushel corn because he specialized in it. Now you're trying to go backwards. What the hell? I mean, the people listening right now are saying, Hey, wait a minute, Kelly, I thought you were Mr. 300 bushel corn. And now you're going to be monking around. You, you what? You know, you have a chicken coop also. You're going to, you're going to be like the old McDonald? <clears throat> what are we doing?
2: Well, you know, there are some soil health values and things like that that we're looking at on the farm now, and I, I do think we're returning to uh, some of the ways of my grandfather. We're using new technology to find out what, what they were doing that was correct, and a lot of it was. Um, I would Diversity is a nice term, and this really is a new venture, but the term I would use is vertical integration. A lot of times in the livestock industry, we hear that the farmer or rancher gets squeezed out because the packer is vertically integrated and controls it. Well, you know what? I just out vertically integrated them. If I can make this successful on a sales part, the packers are less vertically integrated than we are.
1: Uh, well, because you've got the feed, you've got everything, and, and et cetera. Right. Uh, but then one would argue that uh, you're going to struggle to get retail distribution the way they can. But that's where you get a little more crafty and savvy. Direct to consumer marketing is probably easier, more easily done now than it's ever been through the Amazons and the websites and the, uh, you know, all the different, uh, you know, online uh, buying forms, etc. When you look at the advantages of this, because I like the idea of having multiple revenue streams you know i'm a small business person also and when uh, it's the old thing eggs in one basket do you see this being something that uh, grows enough to where you're saying yeah this definitely uh requires green farming is going to be my bread and butter but this one's going to be 10 of my week or 15 percent of my week should go to this where do you see it going in terms of because you only got so many hours in a day
2: right you know though uh, between the employees that we have and my three sons, I, I think that this can grow. We can scale this up as much potential as it provides. We, we don't have to cap it because we can, we can hire another employee or we can manage it, you know, and then if, if the meat sales are slow, we just don't have to process cattle that month. We can just sell them as finished animals. We, there, there, there is, can be a plan B here. If, if the meat isn't selling all the time, like we hope it does.
1: Yeah, and then obviously Plan C is it's overselling. Then you go to your neighbors, and as long as those uh, they have animals that are of uh, the same quality, uh, then you do that. What about um, other things when it comes to diversification? Because I'm I'm all about it, but also I know that there's dilution. Um, I talk about this a lot. You know, I've been out here for 28 years, running my own, you know, commanding my own ship. There's diversification of income. There's also dilution of income. I had my beef operation and it was neat. And I remember distinctly, my wife came out to me one day and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm cleaning out this calf pen. I can't stand dirty cattle. And she just, I get that. You got a conference call with one of your major clients in nine minutes and you're out here and you smell like cow shit and you're sweating and you need to be at your desk talking to a client that actually is a part of our income. The trouble is, the beef thing didn't make nearly as much as my real business, but there I was diluting my real business. You know what I'm talking about? Because the person listening to this, I think Kelly is saying, yeah, I, th- I could do that. Cause you could, you, there's a, you know, we're farm guys. We can do this. We can start a welding shop, raise cattle, uh, do direct to consumer goat cheese, grow corn. We could do a lot of stuff, but then is it diversification? That's, profitable or is it dilution that means you're just a master of all your jack of all trades master of none you know what i'm talking about
2: right so two things on that number one that some people would say that my dreams can be pretty big and they can be but they've got to be big enough you talked about that you were finishing 13 head Uh, great and it was a hobby and you had a high high quality item i want to do it on 240 head because then it's not dilution then it's it's We're talking about real money, and it's worth your time to manage it. The other thing is, uh, years ago, I invested in a uh, uh, it was a fabric company. They were going to make pillows and and drapes and things like that. There were partners who were going to start a new business, and I thought to myself, "We're going to get out of agriculture. We're going to go somewhere. We're going to make real money." Well, it failed, Mm -hmm. and I ended up with a tax write off. (laughs) So now that was dilution. Now, to me. The different businesses I have, be it KSX transportation with the trucks or integrated ag solutions with the products that come from Extreme Ag or Extreme Ag or now this beef enterprise, they are all offshoots of Garrett Land and cattle. And then the synergy and the the circular approach to them all makes that a great diversification, not dilution, because everything ties back into the mothership of Garrett Land and cattle.
1: First off, without even without even intentionally doing it, you did it because intentional is a purposely used word right there. In my book, Do Business Better, that's over my right shoulder, if you have any watching this, I talk about a thing called intentional congruence. One of the pieces of advice that I would give that Kelly just gave, you, we can do a lot of stuff and you can quickly become diluted when you're running your own business, whether you're a company of one or 20 or 50. The problem is when you get off your reservation. When you get too far out of your wheelhouse, then it's like, okay, wait a minute, I'm, 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 I'm really kind of getting out here too far from from where I need to be. Um, intentional congruence. The concept is let's make sure that this entity overlaps with this entity with strengths that I already have with relationships that I already possess with uh, knowledge that I already know and that way intentionally you're congruently putting these things together where one overlaps with the other or at least has overlapping circles and That's just exactly what you said your business is ag is just now div- different aspects of ag is that the advice you'd give to somebody that's listening to this says I'd like to diversify
2: absolutely it is uh Take one business and build the next business off of it and keep doing that in a way that they support each other.
1: What about the person that's listening to this that says, you know what, I think I should just do exactly what I'm doing. I'm only going to be a specialist. I'm going to do this one thing. What's your words of warning? I know what one is going to be, but I want to hear your thoughts
2: on that. You know, you've got all your eggs in one basket. You've got all your eggs in one basket. There might be some opportunity passing you by, and you might be falling into the trying to do more instead of better trap
1: little history for you because of my background in political comedy. There's a guy named Vaughn meter. If you're an old person, listeners, you know what I'm talking about. If you're young, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Vaughn meter was a comedian who made lots of, Hey, he had 33, uh, record albums, 33 LPs, if you will, recorded albums, if you will, back in the 1960s, his big gig was impersonating John F. Kennedy. He was famous for impersonating John F. Kennedy had record albums about the first family November of 1963 his eggs were all in one basket von meter never really worked again after that um i heard started out with something that you already know um overlap it with things that you're already doing uh make it small enough that you can handle it before you have to grow big enough to put somebody on it you know if you if you've got to reach out and hire a bunch of people before you've earned a dollar one you're pretty well you're pretty well behind the start line so now it's like really really giving yourself a disadvantage so you purposely didn't do it to where you had to hire staff just to get this thing going.
2: You know, I've I learned with extreme ag, KSX, integrated ag. And now this, I very much want it to start small, walk before we run, and let it build organically rather than going into the bank and asking for a loan. And as you say, being behind the eight ball before we even start. Let's have proof of concept, let's prove it out, and then let's scale it up. And, and not not get a loan, not be paying huge interest bills and, and being in a desperate, stressful situation.
1: Okay, here's something that you get and I get, and, and it's okay. It's not doesn't make these people bad people, but I understand the mindset because I've been there also. The person that's sitting there saying, yeah, it's easy for you. You got all this stuff going on. It's easy for you, but I'm not in that situation. That's easy for you to throw 10 grand at this thing. I ain't got 10 grand. What's your... Th- advice to that person, because we've probably been there before in our life. Maybe we're not now. Is it really about the money or is it more about the mindset?
2: It's more about the mindset. You uh, you have to be committed that you're going to go try it, but it isn't. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we have some money invested here, but in the size of our operation, if these 20 head of cattle don't get sold and my family and friends and I, we just end up eating them all, well, we're going to eat good. We really haven't taken a risk. So So if you can't risk 10 grand, that's fine. Then risk a thousand, but you can always, you can always do better. And it's about that mindset. Absolutely.
1: I think it's about the mindset. Cause I was going to say that sometimes it's really not even that much money. And I know I'm not being in any way arrogant, one grand, 10 grand, a million. I mean, it's, it's all relative to what your position is, but sometimes it's more about just the, the risk mindset or the, I'm going to go get it mindset versus the actual money. In other words, Sometimes we pretend
2: there's more financial risk than there really is. It's more a matter exactly. of doing the change. So often we get caught up in this risk and it's an all or nothing deal. It's black and it's white. Is it going to be success? Is it going to be a failure? You just don't know. And that simply isn't true. It isn't an all or nothing thing. The truth is always in the middle. And you're not gonna, you're not gonna make a best case scenario and you're not gonna lose it all. Those yes. two things very, very rarely happen.
1: Yeah, like I said, a lot of times I I see it myself and, you know, I've even been guilty of it and I hear it from other people where they want to pretend that there's a financial um, risk that they're unwilling or unable to take when really it's about a change in mindset that uh, they're doing. I look around, I see other things. Do you got something else in your mind now? This one's starting to roll. Are you already to the next one in your mind? Like after this gets going, we're going to do this and this. Is it already happening?
2: You know, there has already been a conversation that if the beef thing takes off that we need to partner with someone that's raising chickens or partner with someone that's raising pork and add that to the retail space, add that to the website. Yeah.
1: Last thoughts. Uh, anybody that's out there saying, okay, you know, I want to diversify. I, I want to do this. I like the idea of getting some income from something else. Uh,
2: what's what's your uh, advice? Uh, my advice is to go for it. You, everything is relative, like you say, so don't worry about the amount of money. Don't think it's going to be an all or nothing. The truth is going to be in the middle and start from a spot that you don't feel like you're taking a risk and have that positive mindset and, uh, put a lot of sweat equity into it at first and, and try to build it. My term is build it organically. So you don't have to go put yourself behind the eight ball from the beginning.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can start it this, and also mine would always be implement now, perfect uh, later, because there's no way you're going to know. You're no way in hell going to know right now, before you've even sold your first uh, widget, what problems you're going to have three months from now. So the point is, get it going, and then you'll, through adaptability, uh, perfect it on the fly. And I'm sure you're going to find this with your Garrett Beef offer.
2: I meet some people that want to have this very detailed plan of what they're going to do and when. And, you know, having an idea like that is important, but you don't know what's going to happen. You can't imagine how things are going to change and evolve. And that detailed plan is probably going to be worth about the paper it's written on in about day six, because things have changed. There's going to be things that you did not think were challenging that are. There's going to be opportunities come up that you didn't know were going to exist. And you just have to figure it out on the fly.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, that sounds, I, I talk about that in my business book also, Kelly, where folks say, well, you have a business plan, you know, what's the three, five and seven year plan. I'm like, well, did Uber exist seven years ago? Now some dude named Larry is pulling in my driveway to take me to the airport. his Corolla. Hell, that didn't exist seven years ago. So we're supposed to pretend that our business has got a seven year. No, I agree with you.
2: I I've been asked that question before in different businesses or from the bank or whatever. What's your five-year plan? What's to make as much goddamn money as I can. I mean, I don't even understand why that's a question. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just to be solvent at at the, to be solvent at the least and very profitable at the most. Um, And we'll close that out with, by the way, yes, it doesn't mean you shouldn't have a plan. You shouldn't have goals. It just means that uh, if you think that you're got to have it all figured out today on what the five and seven year window looks like, it's probably not going to happen because Kelly being a big athlete like he is, he can appreciate this. Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson said famously, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face.
2: That's right. Uh,
1: His name's Kelly. My name's Damien. This is Cutting the Curve. We are talking about diversification of your income through resources you already have. Look around your operation. Where might there be a resource, a, a, a something that you have a strength that you possess, a relationship that you could leverage where you could, again, take something you have and as Kelly talked about, vertically integrated or more importantly, keep some of the middle money for yourself. That's what we're talking about here, right? Right. That's it. All right. Till next time, it's Cutting the Curve. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Cutting the Curve. Could your farming operation benefit from better drainage, lower costs, and increased yields? Advanced drainage systems can help. From drainage solutions to irrigation and water recycling, at ADS, their reason is water.